Of course you do. New series are great. So exciting. So exciting. Okay, so um, the title of the new series for your notes is this, Tests, Trials, and Tribulation. Tests, Trials, and Tribulation. And here's what we're going to do for the next few months. Um, whenever we go through difficult times in life, whenever there's COVID or a loved one dies or we lose a job or someone's hurting us, there's some questions that we ask ourselves internally, but we never answer those questions because we're so called up in the, the heat of what's going on. Here's what we ask ourselves. We ask ourselves this. Why is this happening to me? Who's to blame for this? Is this a test from God? Is this a trial that I'm putting myself through because I did something stupid? Or is this tribulation from the devil? Who's it from? Why is it happening? And then we ask ourselves this. What's the easiest route out of this pain? And we ask ourselves these questions, but we never answer the questions because we're so caught up in the pain of the suffering of what's going on. Then finally, when we get out of it, we're like, oh, thank God, we go back to our normal life. But I'm going to teach you for the next several weeks, even a few months, how to be able to find out when negative things happen, if it's from God, if it's from something you've done, if it's simply from the devil attacking you, and I'm going to teach you what to do during that particular time in life. Pretty cool, right? And so you'll have your handouts, and so you'll know it for the rest of your life, and you'll be able to help other people as well. So, okay, so today in part one, we're going to talk, I'll make it easy, part one, we're going to talk about pass the test. Pass the test. I don't think we realize how much of life is really a test. Every day, God presents us with what I call open book tests. They're open book because he gave you the book in which the answer to that test is there. Whenever someone hurts your feelings or offends you, that's a test. And here's the book, and it teaches you exactly how to handle it and what to do. Go to the person. Forgive. Show mercy. Whenever you are behind a slow driver who's in the left lane, not the right lane, but the left lane, and their license tag is from up north. It shows you in the Bible exactly how you should handle that. Whenever you see something on Facebook you disagree with, and you're so tempted to just put something in there and show the whole world how you feel about it, the Bible shows you exactly what to do during those tests of life. How we handle these tests determine our future, because if we pass the test, then we get promoted. Our character looks more like Jesus. We grow. He prepares us for the future. If we fail the test, here's the good news. He never gives you an F. He simply gives you the test over again and over again and over again. So three points for you today. Point one is number this. Uh, tests are godly. Tests are godly. I need you to understand today that what we're talking about is actually from God. Tests are godly. Um, God does this intentionally in our lives. If you want to write this down, you can write this down. Satan tempts us to fail. God tests us to pass. He never tests you to fail, ever. He never tests you uh, for you to miss out on something. He never tests you for you to go backwards in life. God always tests you to promote you, for you to pass. But the enemy always tempts you to fail. It says there in James 1, 3, consider it a gift when tests come. I don't know if you've ever asked Santa Claus at Christmas time, you know what I'd like this year? I'd like some tests. But uh, it says here in the Bible that it is a gift when they come because under pressure, your faith is forced into the open. In other words, tests show you what's in your heart. We all think we know what's in our heart until we're tested. 
It says this, let it do its work so you become perfectly and fully developed. Notice it changes you, lacking in nothing. In other words, the atheist that you work with is a gift from God. The wayward child that keeps you praying every single night is a gift from God. When your pastor offends you, it is a present wrapped up. There's a bow on top. It is a gift from God. Here's why God wants these things to happen in your life, because he's trying to promote you. He wants people to hurt your feelings. He, the God that loves you more than anything in the universe wants people to hurt your feelings so that you can learn how to pray for your enemies and bless those that persecute you. He wants people to persecute you so you can learn how to forgive because you'll never learn unless that happens. He, he wants you to be put in tough situations that aren't huge, just little things, so you can learn and grow for what he has in store for you tomorrow. Um, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were delivered from slavery. They're out of Egypt. And in Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says the Lord led them in the wilderness. It doesn't say the devil led them. It doesn't say that they did this to themselves. The Lord led them in the wilderness to test them so that they could see what God already knew was inside of their heart. And to prepare them for the future, for war. God knew, okay, listen, I'm leading you out of slavery, but if I take you to your promised land today, you won't have the faith you need to go in, and you'll end up back in Egypt dead. So I have to take you through the wilderness for you to learn what I'm trying to teach you. It goes on in uh, Deuteronomy 1 2, it says, It takes 11 days to get to the promised land, but it took Israel 40 years. In verse 6, he says, you've dwelt on the mountain long enough. Here's their problem. Everything that happened in their life, they complained. What a simple test to pass. That was it. They didn't have, it wasn't huge, it wasn't horrible. All they had to learn to do was praise God in the middle of affliction. That's it. That's it. No big deal, right? They had a great church. They had great leaders. God was providing everything they needed. They got gold from Egypt as they left. They were being healed. Miracles were, you'd think. If there was anyone on earth that would be praising and would be thankful, it would be them. It was the opposite. Every time something happened, if, they, if God gave them bread, they complained and wanted meat. So they went around the mountain again. If God gave them a leader, they complained and wanted a different one. They went around the mountain again. If God uh, delivered them from Pharaoh, they complained about the Red Sea. They went around the mountain again. Everything that God did in their life, they complained and they had gone around and around and around the mountain. They did the same thing we do when tests come. They complained. They stopped being faithful. They developed a victim mentality. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. Never me. And here, God loved them enough to keep them on the mountain around and around again. Exodus 13, 17, God did not lead them the shortest way. In fact, the Amplified says he took them the long way on purpose. Because they were not prepared for what God had in store for their future. And they would change their minds and return to Egypt. Here's my question. Is God taking you the long way on purpose today because you refuse to grow? Is there something in your life you've been around the mountain? You complain with your spouse every single month. Uh, uh, you complain about your boss every single month. No matter how much money God gives you, you never tithe around the mountain over and over. No matter what God, it's always somebody else's fault around the mountain again. Some of us, it, it, you realize, because it says that it's an 11-day journey, but it took them 40 years, that tells me that we are in charge of how long we're going to be in the wilderness. Your parents aren't in charge of how long you'll be in the wilderness. God's not. God said they could have gotten there in 11 days, 
but they wouldn't pass the test. How simple of a test is that? And I bet you, I bet you a million dollars you could ask your spouse or your children or someone real close to you, what test does it look like in my life I'm having to take over and over and over again because I just won't pass it. Um, in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, it says, The Lord asked Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. So I went there and I saw the potter working at his wheel. It says, whenever the clay was marred, um, the Amplified Bible says when it was imperfect, in the hand of the potter. I love the fact that it doesn't say in the hand of the enemy, uh, in the hand of the world, in the hand of God, in the hand of the potter. The potter would simply start over using the same clay. In other words, God didn't say, man, I can't believe you failed again. I'm throwing you away and I'm getting somebody else. He says, nope, I'm going to pick up the same clay and use it again. The Lord said, you are in my hands just like the clay in the potter's hands. So you and I, we all start off like a hard lump of clay. We're full of greed. We're full of envy, jealousy. We compare ourselves to everybody else. We need the world's approval. All these problems in our life. And so the potter is so good to us. He picks us up and he puts us on his potter's wheel and he spins us around and around and around trying to mold us and make us in the image of his son. With every test we pass, we look more and more like Jesus. The character of God is in our life. And when you have the character of Christ, you'll always excel in life. And so he could put you on the wheel. And then all of a sudden he feels, oh my goodness, there's a lump of unforgiveness in them. Now he doesn't just say, I'm going to remove the unforgiveness. Because if he did, tomorrow when someone hurts your feelings, you put it right back. And then if he put you and he removed it again, the next Friday someone's going to offend you and it goes right back. So instead of removing it, he puts you in a place in life. For somebody to say something that hurts your feelings. He does this intentionally. Because he wants you to pass the test and learn how to forgive or go to them and ask questions. Do what it says in Matthew 18. Easy, open book test. And once you pass the test, then you look more and more like Jesus. And he puts you back on a spinning wheel and he sees a lump of pride. Instead of removing the pride because it will just come back tomorrow, he puts you in a place where someone's going to correct you or instruct you. How are you going to respond to that? Now, I don't have to listen to you. You don't know what you're talking about. It's always somebody else's fault. Or, you know what, you're right. I need to grow in that area. And once again, you start to look more like Jesus Christ. Then he puts you back on the spinning wheel and there's a lump of anger in your heart. And you don't even know what's in there. So he sends you to Walmart and he makes sure that you're right there when this front car, the car, the very front row is about to pull out. You got your blinker on. It's a great day. We had a great day at church. You're about to pull into that front row parking space. And then all of a sudden, you blink your eyes, and this orange sports car comes <laughs> flying in, and it takes your space. Are you going to flick him off? I mean, flick her off? Are you going to cuss her out? What are you going to do? Are you going to look more like Christ, or do you have to be put back on the wheel and go around and around and around the mountain? For 40 years, not passing the test. God brings these tests to light to show us the impurity of our character. It shows us the attitude of our heart. We all think we're this top dog Christian, all our hearts so pure, all my motives are right, until we're presented with a test in life. You know, David did not become the greatest king of Israel overnight. It was years of passing tests. 
I can picture David in the fields taking care of his sheep. He's all alone, just him, his harp, and God. And David prays and says, God, I'm tired of being alone. Bring somebody into my life. Send me some friends. I don't like being out here all by myself. And God says, okay, David, I'll answer that prayer today. But just so you know, 20 years from now at the Battle of Ziglag, all your friends are going to walk away from you. And if you don't learn how to pass the test of loneliness right now, 20 years from now when that happens at Ziglag, you're going to turn around and run from your destiny because you won't be able to handle it. So do you want me to answer that prayer today and bring people in your life now? Or do you want to learn how to just rely on me so 20 years from now when all your friends desert you, you'll still accomplish your dreams? Which one do you want? And David says, okay, I'll learn, I'll learn loneliness. I'll learn, it, I'll learn it today. Then Samuel comes to his house to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. And David's out in the shepherd's field and he sees it happening and he feels this huge uh, sense of rejection. He feels dejected. His own father didn't even give him a chance. And David says, God, I want to get even with that man. How can he do this? I'm his son. Let me get even with him. And God says, okay, you can, you, can get a, you can be an event. You can get even. You can let him have it. You can talk about him on Facebook. You can do whatever you want to do. But just listen, 15 years from now, Nabal is going to offend you. And you're going to be on your way to his house to kill him. And if you kill him, you'll lose the throne. You'll lose everything you worked for. So you can pass the test now and forgive that rejection and say, you know what, people make mistakes. Or you can, get your, you can avenge yourself. And then 15 years from now, when Nabal does it, you'll lose the throne. What do you want to do? Do you want to keep the throne and learn the lesson now? David says, yes, I'll forgive. Parents make mistakes. That's just the way it is. On and on this happens in his life. I can picture when the bear and the lion come to attack his sheep. And David says, you know what, I don't make enough money. I'm getting minimum wage. I, I shouldn't have to deal with this. They're not even my sheep. The bear and the lion, you know what? Just let, I'm too afraid to face these animals. God, I don't know if I can do it. And God says, okay, David, about three weeks from now, you're going to stand before Goliath. And 700 men who can sling a slingshot like you, they're going to run in fear. If you don't face your fears today with the bear and the lion, you'll run from Goliath three weeks from now. What do you want to do? David says, I'll fight the bear and the lion today. I'll take it. I'll take it. On and on this happened. Um, oh, I can picture whenever David's dad asked him to take food to his brothers out in the army. And David's thinking, you know what? This is the guy that rejected me. I shouldn't have to submit to his authority. And God says, David, a few years from now, you're going to have a job at the palace. And King Saul's not going to be treating you right. If you can't submit to authority now, you'll lose your job when you're in the palace. What do you want to do? David says, I'll submit to the authority right now. And Psalms 4.1 says, David wrote this, God, you enlarged me in my times of distress. You enlarged me in the difficult times when it was uncomfortable. I can hear David praying, saying, God, make my life easier. Please, God, it's so difficult. Please. And God says, okay, David, I'll make your life so much easier today, but you'll never be king of Israel. Because I know what's in your future, I'm preparing you now with these tests. And once David's character looked like the character of a king, that's when he took the throne of Israel. See, we all think we deserve the promotion, but the tests show us what's going on in our hearts. I believe David knew, even though this is in the New Testament, I believe David knew 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not allow you. He will not, he will not, he will not allow you to be tested beyond your strength to endure. Amen. 
In other words, we can't pray away every discomfort in our lives. If you don't write something down, write this down. Um, if God's not removing it, I must need it. If God is not fixing it, I must need it. If God's not changing it, there must be something he needs to show me through this difficult situation. Because we know God can fix it just like that. But if he's not, there's a purpose for it. Now, point number one was my longest point. Okay, two and three are much shorter. Number two is this. Tests are small. I can't stop playing with this Play-Doh. Every time I walk over to it. And it's orange, so it's really, it's caught my eye there. Tests are small. Um, one of the ways you know that these, some things like this are from God is they're small. Listen real close. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy does, okay? Um, let me say it like this. Uh, the enemy runs around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, okay? The things I'm talking to you about today aren't life-threatening. They're not devouring you. They're not destroying your life. They're little things. Matthew 25, 23, because you've been faithful with little, I'll put you in charge of much. Let me ask you a question. Is 10% of your paycheck huge and life-changing or is it little? It's little. Every time you get paid, it's a test. Who are you going to honor? God or the mortgage company? Because the first 10% has the blessing attached to it. Only God can bless you. It's a test. It's little. When somebody hurts your feelings or puts something on Facebook you don't like or says something that offends you, is that huge? Oh, it's going to give you. Is it there, little? It's little, right? Whenever you come in late for church and the usher asks you to sit at the back of service not to disrupt, is that a huge thing or is it a little thing? It's little. These tests are from God. If you can't pass the test there, you'll never get further in life. Um, Naaman was a rich captain of the army, um, huge guy, I mean, popular, big position in life, but he had leprosy. And so he goes to Elisha, and in 2 Kings 5.10, Elisha's servant said, Naaman, go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. In other words, it's up and down seven times, and everything in your life will change. And Naaman thought this, I'm too rich to do something like that. Are you kidding me? If they knew how much money I gave at this church, they'd never ask me to sit at the back. If they knew how talented I was, I'd be on a microphone every Sunday. If they knew what a great teacher I was, they wouldn't ask me to usher. They'd ask me to teach Sunday school. How dare they ask me to do something this small? How dare they ask me to do something? I can't do This is too easy for me. I need something difficult. Naaman's servant said in verse 13, why not do this little thing and be cured? Why not do this small? Why not pass the small test? Because the small test may have a big blessing attached to it. If you can't do the small, you'll never be able to do the big. How many of us would see our breakthrough, our miracle, the answer to our prayer, if we would do the little thing God's asking us? The little thing. Little thing. Naaman finally obeyed and he went to the Jordan River, and just like that, his whole life changed. But here's what I want to tell you if you are supposed to be the CEO, Let's say in your heart, you think, you know what? I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm supposed to be the top dog. I got CEO blood running in me. If, if you're in fact the CEO, then if you were put in the mail room, after a few months, you'd be running the whole mail room. If you're a CEO, that'd be easy. If you're a CEO, when they put you in charge of a department, that department will run smoother than it's ever run because you're there. 
if you're a CEO. If you're a CEO, then you'd be the best vice president they've ever seen if you're a CEO. And then after we see that you are in fact the CEO by how well you run the mailroom, by how kindly you treat the janitor, by how, how good you are and how smooth you are, and what, if you're on time and the excellence, if you're a CEO, then those things will be easy for you. And then one day you'll become the chief executive officer if you're a CEO. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And trust the things you've heard from me, Paul said, to faithful people who will be able. It doesn't say look at their ability first. It says this, look and see if they're faithful first. Are you faithful in the small, the, the little test? Um, and, you know, people, people come through churches all through Myrtle Beach, and it's happened to us so many times, and all my pastor friends. And it's, it's these people that have talents, and they come through, and in three months they want to be in charge of something. Listen, if you're in fact a worship pastor, if God has called you to be a worship pastor, then as soon as the music starts, when you're in the pew, you're the first one with your hands lifted. If you're a worship pastor, if you're a worship pastor, when we ask you to sing in the choir, not only do you show up with enthusiasm, but you get other people to come with you because you're in fact a worship pastor. If you're a worship pastor, when we ask you to fill in on a microphone, you know every word to the song before practice starts. You know your harmony parts and you got it down pat. If you're a worship pastor, you could easily do that. But see, people come through churches and they want to be in this great big position without doing the small things, the little things first. Song of Solomon 2.15 says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Are y'all okay with this sermon? We're good, right? Okay, I'm just making sure. Sometimes when you don't talk back, I get nervous and I start sweating underneath my suit. So I don't want to do that. It's the little things. You know, you can tell I'm passionate about this. About this, it's the little things that can ruin the big fruit in our life. Somebody's talking about you behind your back. Oh, what are we? It's a small thing. Let it go. Pray for them. <laughs> um, let's see what I have here. Oh, you're not receiving any recognition. Do you know that God will ask you to serve in areas, and God Almighty will intentionally, intentionally, not let anybody thank you on purpose. Because he wants you to see what's in your heart when it comes to receiving recognition. After you pass the test, then maybe you'll get recognized. God, will, God wants you to do something for somebody and not get a thank you card in return. Because he wants to see if you did it for him or if you did it for the recognition. God does this because he loves us. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, back, I'll tell you a real quick story and I'll go to number three. Back in 2010... Um, uh, uh, 10 years ago, let's see, I was 40 years old, and uh, I'm sorry, 30 years old, 30 years old, and I was preaching my first funeral at a funeral home. Now, I'd already done some funerals in churches, first one at a funeral home, so I was real nervous, and it was a friend from high school, so I knew all my high school friends were going to be there, and uh, I knew it was going to be packed, and um, so I, I wanted to look my best, do my best, so I wore my favorite tie that day. I've discovered in life that I've never had a problem since I've been 21 years. I've never had a problem giving money away. I, I love what the Bible says about money. I've studied. I've read all 1,800 scriptures on money that are in the Bible, and I could give money away in a heartbeat. As soon as God says give money away, I'll give it. I'll pay for something. I'll buy something. No big deal. I've seen it growing up. My parents, I, 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 just, I can give money away. I tend to find out that my problem is with unique possessions that took me time and energy to find. Uh, because I really, I, I think my time and energy is way more valuable than money. So when I take a lot of time and I find something, I don't like to part with that. 
So this particular day of this funeral, I decided to wear my favorite tie. I found it at Dillard's. It was like a maybe $75 tie, and there's not another one like it. I've never seen another one like it, and it's so unique. I mean, incredibly unique. And so I'm at the funeral home, and all these employees are coming to help me out, and they mic me up, and they tell me where to stand and when to come in, what to say here. And I'm real nervous, and they're doing a good job. Well, one of the employees, as soon as he greeted me, he was about my age at the time, 30 years old, he showed me, he said, oh, you're Pastor JP, okay. And the first thing he said was, oh, I love that tie that you have on. Then that split second, I heard the voice of God whisper, as soon as the funeral's over, give him the tie. I thought, sure. And then I looked down and thought, oh, wait a minute. That's my favorite tie. So I told God, I said, God, you know what? I have about 20 ties at home that I haven't worn in a year. I'm going to do extra and above. I'm going to go get all 20 of those other ties, and I'm going to give him those instead of my favorite tie. Now, I'm preaching a funeral and arguing with God at the same time as if God asked me to give away one of my children is what I'm acting like. I said, God, I got a better idea. I'll give him money so he can go find whatever tie he wants to find, but not my favorite tie. As soon as the funeral was over, I went over to him. I said, hey, thank you for your help. I said, I just want to give you something. I took off my tie. My last hope was that he was going to say, I couldn't take your tie. He didn't say that. He said, oh, thank you so much. I love the tie. Do you know I've never once missed that tie? Not even once. Do you know in the past 10 years, I've never not had enough money to go buy 10 ties anytime I want them? Not once. Four years later, 2014, I'm doing a funeral again. This time it's at a graveside, and this particular funeral home was there helping. And this guy walks up wearing my tie. The first thing he said was, hey, I'm wearing my favorite tie today. I said, no, you're wearing my favorite. No, I didn't. I said, that's great. You know, bless you, brother. Anyway, um, but here's the point. Is a tie, is it a big thing or is it just a little thing? Why is it so hard for us to pass the little test sometimes? Point number three is this. Tests are rewarded. Easy point. Don't think that God's doing this just to give you a high five and say, I'm proud of you. Now, we don't, we don't obey for the rewards, but we are very grateful that God is a rewarder. In fact, that scripture where it says God is a rewarder, the R is capitalized. Like he is a rewarder. Like he, he is the rewarder. Like he, God can't not reward you when you obey. He can't not do that. James 1.12 says God will reward those who succeed in passing the tests of faith. Um, when you wake up on Sunday morning, you're tested. I don't know if you know that or not, but the second you wake up on Sunday morning, you're, you're in the middle of a test on if you're going to put God first that week or not. In other words, are you going to come to church or not? It says he rewards those who diligently seek after him. Every time you tithe your income, it's not like God saying, good job. No, God's saying this. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven in your life part of blessing you can't even withstand. I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. There's a reward added to this small little thing. Every time you forgive somebody, listen real close. God doesn't say, good job in forgiving. Good job. Good job. God says this. When you forgive others of what they've done to you, I'll forgive you. For what you did to me. And you've done a lot more to me, he says, than they've done to you. 
What they did to you was little compared to what you've done to me. But if you forgive them, I'll forgive. It's a reward attached to it. Genesis 22, 1 through 2. God tested, tested, tested Abraham and said, Take your son Isaac, who you love so much. Your favorite tie. Take it to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. And so Abraham said, You know what, God? I'm okay. You know, life's been average. I'm fine where I'm at. I don't need to grow any. I appreciate you asking me to do this. But I'm fine right where I'm at. Is that what Abraham said? No, Abraham obeyed. He did what God said. In verse 16, God said, because you are willing to offer to me your only son, I promise. Can you, in it, the most beautiful two words God could ever say is, I promise. It's like he's saying, I swear to me. I swear to me, I will richly bless you, multiply your descendants, and your kids and grandkids will always defeat their enemies. All nations will ask me to bless you, to bless them in the same way that I have blessed you. Tests are not given to demote us. They're given to promote us. They're not given to demote you. They're given to promote you. Isaiah 64, it says, Lord, you're the potter. We're the clay. If you see a Christian whom you admire, when you see somebody in this room who has a very successful, enjoyable business. When you see someone in this room who has a great marriage, when you see someone in this room who has a talent, because we're all talented, but with their talent, they're actually being used by God to bless others. When you see that, don't ever think, well, their life was easier than mine. Don't ever think that. Don't ever think, well, they had a great family. They were rich growing up. They did. Those things may be true, but everyone in this room is tested every single day. So when you see a Christian whom you admire, you need to understand this. They have put themselves on the potter's wheel, and they have been molded time and time and time again. They've given in to the hands of God. They've submitted to what God asked them to do. They might not have liked it. They might have fussed a little bit. But sooner or later, they pass the test, and that's why they're in the place they're in today. Not because their life was easy. But because when the difficult times came, they passed the test. I want to close with this uh, fictitious story that I, I love so much. It's about this older couple um, who came into an antique store one day. And as soon as they opened up the doors, they saw in the middle of the room this shelf with a beautiful teacup on it. As they walked over to the teacup, admiring its craftsmanship, the color, all of a sudden, lo and behold, the teacup began to speak. It said, you know, I haven't always looked like this. In fact, there was a time when nobody wanted me. There was a time when I was nothing but an old, hard lump of clay. And the potter came along and he picked me up and he put me on this table and began to roll and pat me out. And I yelled at him and said, stop, that hurts. And the potter just smiled and said, not quite yet. Then he picked me up and he put me on this spinning wheel and he spun me around and around and around. And oh, I got so dizzy. I thought I was going to puke. I said, get me off of this thing. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. Then as he began to form me and, and push on me, he put me inside of this oven Man, this oven was so hot, I couldn't believe. I thought, what have I done to deserve this? Why are you doing this to me? 
He turned up the heat, and so I screamed as loud as I could, Get me out of here! And as the potter walked by and looked through the glass, he just smiled and said, Not quite yet. Eventually, he pulled me out, and I thought, Thank God, now I can go back to my old life. I can be done with all this. But he picked up a brush, and he began to paint these colors all over me. The bristles hurt. The fumes were awful. I, I, I thought I was going to suffocate. I said, stop doing that. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. When I thought things couldn't get any worse, he put me back in the oven a second time. This time he heated it up twice as much as the first time. I knew this was it. My life was over. I was done. I was finished. So I screamed. I yelled. I pleaded. I cried. Please stop doing this to me. Get me out of here. And the potter smiled and said, not quite yet. Just when I was about to take my very last breath, be done with this world, he opened up the furnace. He pulled me out. And he sat me up on a shelf in front of of a mirror. When I opened up my eyes, I couldn't believe what I saw. Oh, how I had changed from that old hard lump of clay that I started out to be. The color in my life, the form. People actually tell me I look a lot like the potter himself. You see, the potter made something amazing out of me. Now, the first thing people see when they walk in this antique store is me. They admire my beauty, my craftsmanship, and I always hear them say, how much? And the potter smiles and says, that one is priceless. It says in 1 Peter 1.7 that our faith is tested and purified by the fire, not of the fire of ease, the fire of affliction. God wants every test in your life to become a testimony. Amen? Amen. Y'all are going to pass the test, right? Yeah. Amen, you are. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We just want to take a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We don't take notes because of what I say. We take notes because of what Jesus says. We don't listen intently because of the voices that sing or the mouth that preaches. We listen intently because the Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of us. So I want to just give you a minute. Normally we have prayer partners and stuff like that because of COVID. I'm just going to pray for you where you're at. But Maybe there's some little things in life and you've been going around that mountain over and over and over again. It's just a little thing. It's not that big of a deal. God's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to put something inside of you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. He's not trying to demote you. He's trying to promote you. And these tests of faith are the way he does it. It's an open book test. So if you're here today... And the Holy Spirit spoke to you about some little things, little changes, little things he needs you to do. I just want to pray for you. 
And just lift your hand today if God spoke to you clearly about something in your life. Hands raised just for 30 seconds. Lord, every person that has the faith to lift their hand and say, I can't do this without God. I need God in my life. I recognize that on my own I can do nothing. But through Christ I can do all things who gives me strength. So Lord, every person has the faith to raise their hand. Right now, Lord, I ask that you impart unto them wisdom for how to handle it. Clear direction for which way to walk in. And Lord, even let them visualize the result once the test is passed. And I thank you for doing these things in their life right now. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen and amen. Y'all can stand to your feet today. I bless you. I ask the Lord to make his face shine upon you, showing you his favor. Give you a great week, a healthy week. Pass the test, because that's the kind of people y'all are. In Jesus' name, everybody shout it. Amen. Amen. Mask wears in the back, non-mask wears in the front. Have a good